Uh, you can also get locate. You can also get the locate. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You'll also get the locate object and locate creature spells. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> what can you get? What other spells can you get, Shane? Locate object and locate creature. Nicely done. Live from the Mundangerous Magic Mirror in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 167 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking surveillance, spying, and scrying. But first the rogue traders lose their heads in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Eye of Horus sees all and hears all in the Character Creation Forge. So Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Elderwood Academy. They are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. Expertly navigated through that. Thank you. It was, <laughs> it was a minefield. Yeah. <laughs> All of their products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codexes, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. I uh, was actually just trawling through their website uh, and landed upon the gemstone dice, which... I don't think I've ever like brought this up before, but I am kind of like a rock geek a oh, bit. Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I also used to sell jewelry way back in the day in like the mall, not like you know door to door. Not like your jewelry. But like <laughs> yeah, not on at, Etsy. At a, at a mall kiosk. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. All right, that's a, that's a very East Tennessee thing to do. <laughs> it wasn't good jewelry. Uh, this stuff looks cool though. I mean, we are also of course big dice nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, the options: blue sandstone. The blue looks really nice. That's, that's a good one. Uh, lapis, which is also a very pretty blue. I like blue, blue dice. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know. Rose quartz, which I think we've been talking about. Hey, what are the, the Mohs scale ratings for these these particular uh, kinds of gemstones? Because yeah. we're going to be tossing them, you know, at like rocks and stuff. Right. We're going to hit them with hammers. Mm, well, that's okay. what we do with <laughs> yeah, dice. Yeah. We're, right? we're going to be hitting them with, uh, <laughs> with party members that we don't appreciate their input. I mean, wait, what? It's harder than a face. So that's good. Um, <laughs> right. We also got we got some jasper. Uh, I I will admit I don't know what howlite is, but it looks uh, it looks cracked. It looks like a marble countertop. That's what it looks like. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I really like the uh, the rose quartz. I am partial to pink dice because I find that I can spot them on the floor much easier. <laughs> <laughs> so pinks and purples are my preference. I used to like black dice until I lost them repeatedly. Yeah, forever. Well, you know, until your feet find them, mm-hmm. which is a terrible day. Um, why not uh, yellow or red fire engine colors? Yeah, I don't know. I just... Why aren't fire engines purple and pink? That's uh, actually the real question we should be asking. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's what the good folks at Elderwood Academy are <laughs> paying us to ask. But um, yeah, so between the dice, the, uh, the dice towers, the uh, scroll rolling tray, which I really like, um, I think they make a lot of cool products. You can check out um, all of their creations out of wood, gemstone, plastic, etc. at elderwoodacademy.com and tell them that DSPN sent you. Yeah, that we sent you very directly and didn't digress in any way. Right. Tell them that we read their ad copy perfectly. (laughs) Please lie for us. (laughs) Like you always do. Thank you. So Shane, you've been playing something, mm, I don't know, that surprises me. You've been playing Pathfinder, you traitor i have been playing a pathfinder um but it's a pc game (laughs) 
I have been playing uh, Baldur's Gate 3, if you will. Now I'm extraordinarily confused. Okay, so uh, last week as we're recording this, Pathfinder Kingmaker got released on Steam, uh, which is like a successor to the Baldur's Gate Neverwinter Night style of like isometric uh, role-playing game based on a pen and paper system. Uh, in this case, they're using Paizo's Pathfinder. So, like, is it set in Galarian? It's set in Galarian. Ah. Uh, it is based on an adventure path of the same name in which you, like, are an adventurer who tries to conquer, like, disputed lands sort of in the center of the continent in order to, like, make them peaceful and build your own kingdom. Oh, interesting. Uniting small nations in the middle of a continent potentially oh, yeah, for no, a bid to take over. It, it's like birthright. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um. All right, so neither of us loves Pathfinder. How does it play? It plays like Pathfinder. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. It is a faithful recreation. Uh, it is a faithful recreation of Pathfinder. I mean, I am not the expert by any means, but there are a ton of character options uh, built into the into the game. Like, if they didn't recreate all of the like core books, then they have created most of it. Um, I, it is deep. Uh, there is a high learning curve for Pathfinder, which means I spend a lot of times leveling up my characters by looking at forums. <laughs> right, I need a I need a build for right. my NPC. Like I just look for like the rating system of uh, of abilities, and I'm like, cool, I'll take all the like blue abilities. That's fine. I'm so glad that that carried over. Okay, so for, for those of you who don't know, um, Pathfinder is like it was initially built on a, as a continuation of 3.5 when for people who didn't want to switch over to fourth edition dnd um but in 3.5 especially on the character optimization forums there was this system developed where people would sort of rank all the abilities or spells or class features uh, to see like what was good and what was bad and they use a color coding system right blue is like good sky blue was the best or i guess gold sometimes yeah see that's the thing is like sometimes gold is the best i know sometimes you gotta read the, the rating best. yeah exactly but like, like what is the legend so pathfinder they always use blue is the best mm-hmm. then green then gold then red gold is like at the bottom yeah gold is a warning that doesn't make any and sense. red is terrible okay that's yeah, very confusing I know. so i just had to go through i had to readjust my my mind all right but yeah. yeah just spot blue spot blue yeah exactly all right um so that's how i've been doing it so the game is uh is interesting the story is incredible and it is the reason i'm continuing to play this game because i'm, I'm very excited about where it's going it was written by chris avaloni who wrote the kingmaker uh adventure path and was also one of the writers of like a few games you might recognize, like Planescape Torment and Neverwinter Nights. And oh, I may Baldur's have heard Gate. of a couple of those. Yeah, like a few few of those Bioware <laughs> classics. Um, so like I'm, it's really good from a lore perspective. I am uh, struggling a bit with the gameplay itself because it turns out like the way they've adapted it to kind of that real time but pause ready combat uh, can be a little bit frustrating mm. and. Uh, doesn't feel like they've made all of the UI improvements that I would expect over the past 20 years since Baldur's Gate came out. Uh, it is basically what, built on the same engine? I, I think it's their own engine, but yeah, it's built on the same principle of like... Which was great in 2004. Yeah, I would just like to see some um, incremental improvements. Well, I'll tell you, when I uh, play uh, video games that have a really great story, but maybe tedious gameplay, I cheat. Mm. Yeah, I say scum a lot, actually. That seems to be the way the game is built. Perfect, <laughs> like, okay. Like, a lot of boss fights end up with me accidentally stumbling into a boss fight, unaware that it's a boss fight, having no time to actually use any debuffs or buff spells in combat, 
dying, reloading, buffing before I walk into the fight, losing, <laughs> reloading, buffing again before I walk into the fight with slightly different tactics, and then either winning or waiting for the RNG to catch up with me. Okay, you're playing Eclipse phase. Good. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is... I. I it's getting improved through patching. There were some rough days at the beginning. It is getting improved, I will say. Uh, but somebody, a few people have described it on the Steam reviews as playing Pathfinder faithfully recreated with the worst DM ever. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Pretty good story. Pretty moderate <laughs> gameplay. That sounds like about right. The worst DM reading through a really great adventure. Yeah, path. exactly. <laughs> So I'm hoping it improves. Um, I will likely be doing a, a more full review either as a blog or maybe um, partnering up with a different show to talk about it. But uh, stay stay tuned. Um, I'll get some more updates on that uh, sometime later. Yeah, stay tuned for Shane's new show, The Pathfinder Chronicles. <laughs> Total Pathfinder thrill. I mean, I might start live streaming it, actually. <laughs> I, just, I just got a new PC and a... Uh, and a webcam, so I, I might. Okay, can you at least hide that behind some sort of Patreon paywall? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. We have to offer them something. Twitch.tv slash Mundangerous, <laughs> if you're invited. <laughs> All right, Shane, speaking of learning by dying, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajact, the rogue traders have left the Verza House, the ancient obsidian fortress powered by a powerful psychic engine of Zinch that was once visited by the fallen dark angel, Lord Cypher. And good riddance. Yeah. After days of constant assault, they are shaken, battered, and broken, and have suffered 90% casualties. And they are now trekking across the deadly, dusty, craggy surface of the planet to the Inquisitor's headquarters in order to return their findings to her. We are doing it grumpily because she didn't send us eagles. <laughs> right. <laughs> why Why not? I don't understand. So she did send you reinforcements. Yeah, but it's Roth. Yeah. So after a few days, you spot the convoy. Uh, and it is indeed a regiment of armsmen, uh, three wagons crewed by Inquisitorial guards, and all led by Lord Captain Roth himself, oh, your wow. rival rogue trader. Uh, I am actually now okay with this. You know what? He did us a solid by actually coming out. It is a show of respect. Uh-huh. It must be a show of respect, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, not, right. not at all a show of clandestine uh, meeting to get out under the thumb of the Inquisition. Ah, uh, yes. We did want to talk where she couldn't hear us. I mm -hmm. mean, we're crossing our fingers that she can't hear us because she's very psychic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have a good feeling about this until you don't. Mm, yeah, because Trix and I, Trank, end up hearing the Company Six chant faintly drifting on the wind, which of course is what our armsmen sing when they are marching to certain death. Uh-huh. That is a, uh, a sign of ill omen, if you will. So we meet and dispatch with the relevant formalities. Flair foregoes being properly introduced, which saves us a good 20 minutes. Yep. And we get down to business. We try to figure out some kind of partnership uh, to get us both off of this planet alive without being murdered by uh, dark angels or an inquisitor who want to tie up loose ends mm -hmm. without actually revealing the information that we have about Cypher. Because, of course, if we tell Roth, then he has no incentive to keep us alive. Right. And then you have no leverage. Yeah. <laughs> so during this process, uh, your arch militant and your peer as Trank's peer, mm -hmm, the other arch militant, uh, Draco is growing increasingly agitated 
uh, and begins sort of like as these negotiations progress, mocking and goading Roth, uh, who is trying his best to ignore Draco and remain professional and just focus on the kind of greater goal here of getting everybody out of this mess alive. Yeah, uh, Draco... I think has sort of gotten fed up with all of this negotiating. He's uh, sort of looking at uh, Roth's right-hand man, who also looks like a gunslinger. If you recall, Jaco is a very talented gunslinger in his own right. He is. Um, who's just sort of like standing there all cocky with like his nice guns and and just like eyeing us up and down like we don't matter here, even though we're rogue traders. Mm-hmm. We're rogue traders. We deserve some respect. Right. Uh, and and like, really, Ross should just give us what we want. Yeah, because Draco is kind of hung up on like the experience of the uh, of the Verza House. Oh yeah, and, was... and, like the stress that that has put on the group, and like the minor miracle it took for them to survive. Yeah, what what has Roth been doing this right. whole time? Yeah, you've been trekking around in the desert, thinking it was terrible, and not knowing how much worse it could be. So as the two sides continue to sort of dance around terms and and try to negotiate without exposing any details. Draco finally pushes it across the limit. Yeah, he flings an insult. He does, directly at Roth. And then a single shot rings out across the desert. The Inferno pistol round leaves Draco's head a mess. It incinerates the top half and burns the flesh off of his head and neck to the bone. He flails about a bit before unceremoniously collapsing to the ground in a heap, dead. That rival gunslinger blows the smoke off his Inferno pistol holsters it and looks at us like we should get back to business and we'll find out what happens next next week so this week we're talking about scrying and remote viewing and farsight sight beyond sight right a kind of catch-all here uh you know depending on your system and your setting there's a lot of ways that players can get a glimpse to listen in or uh or view in on what's going far away um, yeah, NPCs too. The well, enemies, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, could be scry spells. Could be like hacking the uh, the big bad's Alexa. Could be Big Brother using satellite and surveillance, uh, or could just be like you know a crew of street urchins um, setting up spotters along the rooftops and maintaining surveillance on a few locations. Right, uh, Sherlock Holmes and his Baker Street Irregulars. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've got kids watching everything in London. Exactly. Or uh, which Batman movie was it? Oh, it was um, oh, it was just the Dark Knight, right? It's the second one. The second one. Uh, we're at the end, right? He's got the surveillance system that is monitoring every cell phone in Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. Uses it once and then destroys it. Well, right. Yeah. Probably. Right. Yeah. <laughs> destroys the plot point. <laughs> destroys the hardware. Schematics are still somewhere. Right. <laughs> Where would Bruce Wayne get enough money to build another system? <laughs> Um, so scrying and, and all of this type of surveillance always presents a problem for the GM. How do you make it rewarding when players invest their resources in it without foiling your own plots and surprises and like the rewarding aspects of play that come from the story itself? Yeah, it's uh, similar to the like telling the future issue where it's like, I mean, I guess I'm just supposed to be giving giving this to you and so you know exactly what's coming. Uh, all right yeah it's also always worse if uh the scrying is unexpected um either because it's coming from some sort of like new character ability or you know there's something that uh, your party figured out they built some sort of contraption yeah 
or or like you thought they had an ability but they've somehow managed to expand its use far beyond what you expected you know like hacking every single cell phone in gotham it was like i gave you a hacker (laughs) (laughs) i didn't give you a hack everything (laughs) but yeah he has a really high modifier and he had a lot of time right (laughs) he hired a bunch of uh, low-level underlings they used the help action 147,000 times (laughs) right (laughs) so it's like what do you what do you do right like scrying comes up in the game you want to make sure that you're you're making it feel rewarding but also like continuing to have a good game overall that like the short-term reward isn't ruining the long-term reward yeah there's a general goal here which is you want to give the players most of what they want if it turns out that the scrying is successful yeah and the caveat to that is players do not want the total story ruined (laughs) like no one wants to peek to the last page of the novel and find out what the ending is what they want is to accelerate towards that ending uh with with new information that makes them feel like they have an advantage yeah or maybe with new information that makes it so that we have any chance yeah exactly (laughs) okay so what are some factors to consider when scrying is showing up in your game so i think because scrying is specifically a problem for the gm uh, the most important question is how much planning are you doing as the gm and that's how you need to approach it so if you're running like a published adventure or you have like heavily pre-scripted sessions um, you know where you do a lot of prep and a lot of notes and and you've kind of planned for every scenario um, you are more likely to run into problems with scrying derailing your plan because you weren't prepared for it right you got to scramble at the last minute to sort it out yeah so when you're doing all that planning you need to figure out what info is available at certain times using the particular abilities that your party actually has like what is scryable yeah like if they scry early on in the adventure here are the types of things they might find in the process right so just plan on some clues that can be sprinkled in through scrying nothing is scryable there is a there's a dampening effect on the entire plane that's fun my bbeg said no scrying and then snapped his fingers (laughs) just take it off the spell list (laughs) (laughs) um so and there's certain things like you know no matter when the party is scrying they're never going to catch the uh the viscount in his true dragon form yeah just like that's a plot point just take it off the table like that won't be found out like you don't need to worry about that but you can pull information forward. So clues that they would have already found later, you were expecting to give them at a certain point, um, especially things that they would have found out like after they survive the big fight and like start going through the, um, the desk and like sorting through all the files, right? Like you can pull those details forward um, and give them away via scrying as the reward for using that ability. Yeah. And you can even like seed uh, information that doesn't make any sense without the context that, you know, he's actually a dragon. Right. But you don't you don't get that information and you probably you don't need to make it enough information that they can infer. It. It's just a nice tidbit where you go back and be like, oh, that's why like he had a giant chair or or like a giant dragon painting on the wall. Yeah, it was a portrait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. When you see him in his true form, you know this. Right. You've seen it when he scratched his chambers exactly. and he wasn't there. Right. And then on the flip side, I think when you do improv heavy adventures or you're playing more improv focused games, um, like all you've done by by scrying is created more plot points. So the flip side could happen there. 
they can catch the Viscount in his true dragon form. And now the party is trying to like figure out what to do now that they know there's actually a dragon here. Like maybe this story is no longer about robbing the dragon. It's now about exposing him. And it's fine because you're very improv focused. Like you can quickly pivot the whole story and it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, or maybe the wizard is very embarrassed because now they're a peeping wizard <laughs> and they've got that reputation as a peeping wizard. Peeping Tim. Hey, nice. I like it. So when you're figuring out what it is that the player is seeing, you first want to ask yourself, what is it that the player is seeking? So there are simple scry effects that are probably just going to tell you, you know, what's around the corner, whether that's an arcane eye or you're using a drone uh, that's equipped with a camera. Um, you're usually going to want to give information that is commensurate with the cost of the ability. You know, so if you're actually casting a spell using a spell slot, Arcane Eye is, is fourth level. It's going to give you less information than Scrying, which is fifth level. Yeah, likewise, like if you just have a camera drone that you can send in for some process, like great, that can give you a certain amount of information. But if you are investing resources by like spending camera drones in order to get information, well, then you should get a little bit more. Yeah, and you can even like let the player kind of decide this, right? Okay, you send in that drone, cool. Um, you get this information. You think you could maneuver the drone inside this more secret area, but it's going to be a risk. Maybe they get it in. Okay, now they have more information, but it's caught and you're discovered or it's destroyed or something like that. The cost is higher, but so is the information that you got. Right. Um, and so a good thing to do here, like the obvious thing is just to tell them what's around the corner, right? Like, so whatever uh, encounter you had planned, they can see it before it happens and they can do something to prepare for it. Um, you may also want to just add something into that encounter to make it feel like there's a bigger reward. You know, if all they find around the corner is a room full of orcs to stomp, well, that's not very exciting, right? Like that doesn't feel like a great use of my arcane eye. But if I also spot like a trap that the orcs are planning to spring on anybody who comes into that room, well, now I can work around the trap. I'm fighting the same encounter, but my players feel like they got a reward. Yeah, this is nice for those sort of all or nothing abilities. You know, to your point, you use arcane eye or scrying. If there's nothing, if there was nothing to see, if you'd planned nothing there for them to see, then it's like, great. Uh, I mean, I guess I got information that there's nothing there, which is helpful if I'm looking into a vault, but not helpful if, it's, if we're just exploring a dungeon. Right. If, if I just want to see if there's like a beholder on the other side of that door, like no beholder, actually not that fun of an answer. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> just more hallway. Right. But uh, no, the Horcrux is not in this vault great information yeah now i can skip the rest of this dungeon <laughs> then like escalating up the chain right the more straightforward scry effects they give you kind of basic information like who's coming and going who's meeting with whom where is a given object or a person um kind of broader than your immediate surroundings but still limited in the scope of the information that you can get yeah these are generally used to enhance the flavor of the adventure and to make the world feel alive, right? Things are happening even when the party isn't there. And when you're not doing anything or when you're, for example, all standing around a scrying pool, other things are going on. There is an opportunity cost to this um, and it increases a sense of urgency, right? Nothing is static. Yeah. And like, you know, in like a Knights Black Agents game, you've left your safe house. Um, you might want to know what's going on in the city when you finally get back from killing that vampire. Like, what's going on and change? Like, what is your surveillance doing in that meantime? Like, 
get some more information about the world around you and maybe see the next adventure in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a more tight adventure, this can also just be a shortcut to information that they would investigate and acquire from some other means, right? Like they could have gone each of them split up around the city and uh, and like hung out for a few days at a few different locations and gathered this information, or they could just use a resource and get it now. Um, generally that's not a big difference in your adventure it's just a different way to solve the problem yeah it can be a nice way to keep the party from having to split right you've got this rogue with all these abilities they could sneak in and find some stuff reconnoiter or they could just you know send out a message to their irregulars right and great i've essentially scribed the city uh we didn't have to like go anywhere and do anything we could do multiple things at the same time or like we all get together help the wizard with the scrying ritual like we did a thing together we got what we needed we go yeah and this gives you a lot of flexibility and pacing too. Like if you need your session to pad out a little bit, you know, you can make this a little more involved of a process. And if you need to escalate towards the end of your adventure, you don't want to waste a lot of time on this. Like scrying is a great way to get a lot of information in a quick info dump and move on. Oh, totally. It's nice to have different options when uh, you're never really sure which players are going to show up any day right like <laughs> yeah. okay if the rogue isn't there, I guess we can't do the reconnoitering. Fortunately, the wizard can scry. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. Right. Uh, and then there's like deep scrying effects, right? These give access to information that the players could never get through conventional means. So this is like, you know, a scry spell into the villain's inner sanctum or hacking into the corporate servers or like um, divining the exact location of an artifact, you know, like those types of things you just can't do without this specific ability and effect. In this instance, they're usually expensive to use. And because they are so expensive, whether that's in like actual gold pieces uh, or credits, or um, it's an investment of time to sort of like set up this ritual and make it actually work. Or just character build points, right? right? Like if you're the hacker and this is the cool thing you do. Right, you, I dump so many points value, into right? this skill. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh-huh. It, it needs to drive the plot forward. Like it must drive the plot forward. Otherwise it was a total waste. So you want to kind of gauge this based on where you are in the adventure, right? So if you're early in an adventure, you want to uncover secrets that prompt more investigation, like an answer that begs more questions. So if the Viscount is secretly a dragon and you have realized this in the second hour of your four session adventure, then it needs to beg the question, why is he here? What is he scheming around? Like, what's his deal? What should be... what? what should we be worried about, right? Like this should be a warning to us that something is going on that we don't know about that we need to figure out. And that becomes a focus for our party. Later in an adventure, this information should accelerate the plot and escalate the tension. It turns out there are chaos space marines and they're stealing a holy imperial relic from the chapel right now. Okay, that's not information we're going to build on and plan on. No, we're going to go to that. We're going to go to that chapel <laughs> and we're going to stop them. <laughs> Let's get in the gun cutter. Or actually, what I think you guys would have done in the Dynasty and Warda campaign if you had found this out was leave. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is why I right. believe you failed in this attempt. <laughs> So there comes an element of know your players and which way it's going to escalate. Can we uh, jettison the chapel? Is there a way to do that? <laughs> right. Does it have locks or something? No? All right. Um, in the future, let's make sure that every part of the ship is able to be jettisoned. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like grenade cascades. If they're available for you, they're available for the enemies. <laughs> 
you might find yourself in a chapel someday. <laughs> Gonna get spaced. <laughs> and and part of that is the way that you deliver the information too, right? Like um, a a dragon casually lounging around, taking care of state affairs in his private study isn't exactly an urgent situation. It's a curiosity that gets investigated. Um, Chaos Space Marines actively stealing a holy imperial relic and, you know, dragging it towards the sole exit. Um, Yeah, you might have some questions about that, but it has a level of urgency that, like, demands it be dealt with. Right, they've just hefted the arc. Uh, they spot the drone and they shoot it with a bolter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They, the camera turns. They shoot it. Oh. <laughs> you got about four frames. Right. <laughs> so you also need to consider: um, Has the target of your scrying anticipated this? Do they know they're being watched, or would they even suspect that they might be watched? Right. I mean, my characters also always assume that they're about to get scryed on. They're Wait, probably always invisible sensors somewhere. Your characters are always being scryed on by the Emperor. Oh, very true. Yeah. Always watching us. He knows. Do I... He knows. Do I save you? Of course I save you. Of course I save you. You're my favorite, is what he probably says. Yeah, he definitely definitely says that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> With his text-to-speech. It's probably not Sinch. <laughs> Well, more paranoid subjects might take specific anti-surveillance precautions. If you live in a world where there is Superman, Lex Luthor always lines his chambers with lead. Or, you know, just scrying. (laughs) (laughs) Just regular scrying magic, too. Oh, does does that stop uh, scrying, too? I think think lead lead does, doesn't it? I think it might. It it stops a lot of that divination stuff. The the mid-level stuff. I think the highest-level stuff. Which is disconcerting. Why? (laughs) Why does it do that? What's so magic about lead? (laughs) Um, But things like static fields or Faraday cages are great for more high-tech settings. Yeah. The entire tower is a Faraday cage, fool. Right. (laughs) Um, Like, in more real world kind of more grounded games like a lot of times like tradecraft is just to run the shower so there's background noise or turn up music very loudly or meet in a very public setting where it's difficult to like extract a single voice from the crowd Mm -hmm. and the key to this like because what you've said by by doing this is basically like know your ability that you've spent points and invested in doesn't work so you need to make that information important in its own right Right, so like the the merchant that you thought was just this doddering fool is actually quite spry if he's got all of these like precautions taken and you can't spy on him. Right, and can use sign language behind his back with one hand. Right, <laughs> like it, you know, like if you learn that the senator is actually a trained operative, now this is a like you have learned important information, even if you didn't learn the information you were looking for. Right, what I learned is they are capable of stopping me, and that is important information. Right. Um, you know, the priest of Pelor, he seems a lot more paranoid than most priests of Pelor who are just sitting around healing folks. What's going on in the basement of that temple? Yeah, why does he set up a tripwire when he leaves the church? Yeah. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Where did he get a claymore? <laughs> I mean, you know, Pelor. You know, Pelor. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm just trying to make healing more valuable, okay? <laughs> it's supply and demand. 
Um, it is possible as well to use like false fronts or you know directly misleading information when scrying. Um, particularly if uh, if the target knows they're likely to be spied upon, they might just be pretending um, to give you the information you're looking for. Oh, I love when you get information out of context. Well, out of context is one thing, but like directly misleading information is another. Like a, an intentional red herring is another. <laughs> well. Those are super dangerous. Yeah. Really, either one. Well, yeah. <laughs> Players have a great way of taking a small thing that they misunderstand and take turning it into a giant thing that they misunderstand. Yeah, it, it can be real difficult <laughs> to unwind that. So <laughs> if, you, if you try to do a red herring, you sometimes have to accept that you might be pivoting your story late in the game in order to make that red herring the truth all along. <laughs> yeah. They're a dragon. Well, it turns out they're just kind of playing with illusions. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's a, it's a diorama. You didn't get a good look at it. My kid has a science project due tomorrow. Right. I made a, you know, a dragon with a baking soda breath. Get it? Get why? Oh, no, you've stabbed me. I, I get it. <laughs> I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't like getting stabbed either because you thought I was a dragon. <laughs> oh, I like stabbing you. <laughs> um. So with this, you, you do need to be careful, like, the... Uh, the surveillance defenses because players are spending their resources and if they keep finding that scrying is just a trap you know like i'm just getting bad information or i'm getting no information players will stop doing it um like they'll uninvest those points they'll prepare other spells they'll just stop using that as a possibility um which makes it super hard especially for certain archetypes that are built around that concept mm. Yeah, um, the uh, rogue with a huge contact network. Yeah, like the mastermind rogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, all that information you got was wrong. All right, if that happens once, I will start double checking. Right. If that happens twice, screw this. Mm -hmm. I will dive off a cliff and reroll my character. <laughs> I will not use evasion at the bottom. <laughs> um, or classes like um, the rigor in Shadowrun. Like your whole thing is I send out machines to do my job for me. Right. If I can't rely on the information that I'm getting from them, then I'm useless. Yep. You know, same thing if you're a, a heavily invested like divination wizard, right? Like if you continually get bad information from your divination spells, you will become an evoker in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> you'll just be worse at it than everyone else, but you'll switch your spells, right? And we'll all make fun of you. Right. You'll liquidate all of those diamonds, all of those, uh, all those magical mirrors, your scrying pools. You'll dump over, and you'll just burn things. Yeah. Fine, fine. I scorching ray. You know what I see in the future? You being on fire. Oh, right. look! I was right. <laughs> I speak a little French. You're an asswipe. Pardon my French. <laughs> French wizard. <laughs> um, you can also. Uh, create delayed benefits of scrying if it if it's better for your pacing purposes, right? Um, giving the information right now might be difficult for your plot, but it could be valuable to gain it later. Okay, so it's like a magic eight ball. It's like uh, reply fuzzy, try again later, right? Well, no, you can't do that. <laughs> like, you can't. You can't. Like that's frustrating for a player. It's like scrying is unavailable at this time. Like you can't rest here. <laughs> I gotta. I got a busy signal. Uh, uh, what? Yeah. 
instead, what you want to do is give them some like broad general information right now, uh, make a note of it, and then constantly reference that memory of the scrying as like an ongoing source of further information, right? So as things come up through their normal investigation, they get enhanced results because they scried previously and now they're using that information effectively. Yeah, this is like that situation where you see the meeting of like seven important people, but you don't know who they are or you know who one is because that's the person you're scrying. Right. But now you know what everyone's face looks like. Yep. Which means you can try to figure that out or if you, you happen to notice that person standing next to like the heir to the throne oh okay well mm, we know they're involved in something right or um you know like even just scrying on an empty place right the inside of that place could have information that in the current context doesn't appear particularly useful like uh you might see like a figurine sitting on their desk right but then later as you're flipping through a book in the library you see that figurine as a symbol in one of the tomes mm -hmm. like oh these two things are connected i wonder what's going on there yeah and if you are a smart player players here's a tip try to scry empty places more often than not because one of the problems with with scrying or like sending in a drone or something is that you can get caught very easily if something can like see an invisible sensor there you are you, there's no way to hide it if you can hear a drone okay well i guess i'm being spied on wait till they're like elsewhere in the chambers and addressing the like the un general assembly and then check their room. Right. Root through it. Look around. You get tons of information that way and you're not going to be discovered. Basic tradecraft. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so we've hinted at this a couple times, but like, let's talk a little bit more about giving partial information because I think that's an important like trick to have in your up your sleeve in order to make sure that like you can keep the plot advancing at a reasonable pace and you're not like frantically bouncing around aimlessly. Yeah. So, you know, if you overhear a conversation, it's quite likely that you don't necessarily know who the people are who are having the conversation, or at least not everybody. Uh, this happens a lot in um, visual media, like TV shows where you just see the silhouette of like the evil council. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm contacting Hydra. I don't know who it is. We're going to find out the end of this right, movie. They're all sitting in the dark. Right. <laughs> Weird. Weird way to have a meeting. <laughs> yeah, I hear their voice, but I don't see their face. Right. All right. Well, write those down. Yep. Or the flip side is uh, you can only see one side of the conversation, right? Like they're the target is speaking on their cell phone and you might even know who they're talking to, but you mm -hmm. don't know what's being said to them. Um, this works, you know, with a sending stone or even like a, like a message spell or, um, you know, receiving a, a paper message. <laughs> like a lot of times you can't see what's on the scroll, but you can see the reaction to what's on the scroll and infer what's going on. Right. Letters don't include that, like, uh, quoted message, like emails. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind which side of the conversation your players are getting and players keep in mind which side of the conversation you're getting like uh, if this person is giving instructions great you don't know how they're going to be carried out also if this person is receiving instructions you're probably only getting yep yep uh-huh i understand yes sir it, yes ma'am it's definitely happening no it, i i can't do it until tomorrow night or whatever right okay great you know when you don't know what right yes a red ferrari i'll have it ready <laughs> <laughs> full of bombs <laughs> um, you already mentioned like a meeting taking place but not knowing all the people there 
Um, another way to do that is that you can see a conversation is happening between people, but you don't know what they're saying. Um, either like you've identified them walking in and you, you don't actually have access to the meeting room or they're facing away um, or like, you know, coaches on the sideline, they're covering their mouth. So the TV cameras can't tell what's, what's being said or their bane or their bane. They just wear masks. <laughs> Why would you not cloaks? You know, that type of stuff. <laughs> Uh, you could intercept a communique that you would have no access to except uh, because of remote viewing. Of course, if the enemy is smart, that they they are always communicating in code. They're always writing notes to themselves in code. Right. Yeah. Uh, Like you said, you could even be like just listening into both sides in real time, but they're innocuously talking about sailing when what they're really planning is a heist. Of course, now you've got um, the initial call and response to get into the thieves' den. Right. <laughs> the eagle lands at midnight. Uh, the red sparrow flies due north. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> um, another nice little trick to have available for yourself is um, remember that the weaknesses and like information that you're giving to the party don't have to turn a fight from difficult to easy. They can also turn the fight from impossible to possible, right? Um, you know, they could learn about weaknesses, about traps, about different plans, whatever it is that like they need to prep against. Um, you, the way that you frame that in context, either like, oh good, now you can bypass this, or oh good, now we know what we have to bypass in order to even have a fair fight. Right, like both things work depending on where you are in like the escalation of your plot. Yeah, we talk a lot about not necessarily figuring out, you know, what exactly your party needs to do in order to overcome a particular obstacle. You just kind of put an obstacle in their way and, you know, talk it out and they figure out a way around it, especially at higher levels. For a party that has access to scrying or drones or something like that, this is a great option here. Like you have an enemy and they have set up defenses you have extremely versatile abilities figure out how to use them and and how to get through because like there's no point me as the gm figuring out exactly how you're going to do it because you're going to come up with things that i would never have thought of and you will definitely not think of the things that that i did and are saying are necessary yep players throw things out throw out options you know you don't have to say all right okay i'm going to scry i'm going to do this and then you get into an argument about like whether or not your sensor is spotted or you can get to into a location right like you can scry, you know how to scry, you have knowledge about scrying, talk to your GM. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. If I do this, do I feel like this would work? How do I feel like it would work in this way? Is this a wise use of my resources? I don't want to use a fifth level spell if you're going to tell me I definitely know it's not going to work. Tell me as the player, because as a player, I don't know anything about scry. (laughs) So... We didn't do a ton of scrying in the Morning Glory campaign, but when when you guys did, it was pretty important to the plot. Angelic Bahar used Arcane Eye during the murder mystery to figure out how it was that the vampire actually got in. Yeah, I think he used Arcane Eye like kind of a lot as as more of a local problem solver. That's true. Right? Actually, like, like as you guys were sort of going through random dungeons or whatever, he would just sort of be like, "Okay, Arcane Eye, right? Uh, Arcane Eye all the time." Uh, I'd never stick my head around a corner. Why would I do that? I'm not an idiot. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, and it was helpful in the murder mystery um, to figure out how the vampires got in. But there was also like a weird amount of value that came out of scrying just from a background perspective. Like 
because uh because Susie who played Lou used her scrying mostly to advance her own personal like story <laughs> like she would just be like oh I have extra spells and we're we're resting uh I would like to scry on Belashira now <laughs> yeah um how was Belashira doing poorly I'm hoping poorly usually the answer was oh you scryed Belashira okay Belashira looks right back at you it is the Lord of Eyes yeah after all uh, but that was information that okay Belashir's looking at me. Um, Belashir also probably already knows what we're doing right. because, like, that's Belashir's thing. But now the party knows that Belashir is not, not in the in uh, in Kyber, right? Certainly not on the surface, not inhabiting some other vessel, right? And then eventually, when you scry on Belashir, you get nothing, which is the most disconcerting thing because <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> Ish. <laughs> well, dead enough. <laughs> the first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is the squishy sound of eyeballs dying. Then it is time to move on to the character creation forge and see what we can find. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also scry on us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. I really feel like you would email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com and scry on us at Facebook and Instagram. Mm, how would you find information that we are not necessarily trying to release? But How would you get that by emailing us? Oh, right, because we're very loose-lipped in email. Yeah, and then also, you know, probably fishing. Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. Good point. Yeah. Oh, finally, this Nigerian prince got back to us. So excited. So Man, we can sweet. give up the podcasting. <laughs> We're going to make $14 million. <laughs> Speaking of making all the money, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Archvillain Games. They are currently... In the midst of a Kickstarter, running through October 30th, selling character sheet gauntlets, which, at least according to this copy, are kind of like binders for your character sheet. Yeah, except uh, they are made of resin or ABS injected molded plastic. They're like uh, detailed, like miniature level uh, holders for your character sheets. They're actually like really, really neat. Uh, check out the website. You can see it's like you slide a sheet of paper into them. It has all the windows and all the trappings of your um, character sheet, like kind of carved into the the binder. And then you just fill in the blanks uh, on the paper so that you can see you have 16 decks and you have 14 con and you have a plus six in stealth. And all of those things like just kind of sit on the sheet within this like really beautiful looking uh, plastic binder. You know, I initially thought that they were going to be some sort of like, uh, you know, arm bracers like Wonder Woman wears. Yeah. But then you have like a character sheet rolled in there somehow. Oh, I, I thought it was a competition series where you run a gauntlet with your uh, character sheet. Yeah. Can your character sheet hold up? <laughs> I made it out of high uh, end cotton resume paper. I, I made it out of hide. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's parchment. Old school parchment. <laughs> These, however, have a patent pending design and figurine level detail. As in, it is as detailed as... A high-end miniature. That is true. Uh, it also makes your character sheet the most beautiful thing at the table. Well, except, except for, you, for you. Oh, God. Oh, look at this. It's guy love. Yeah, I was being polite. Mm, I know. I know. However, this is, I think, additional fodder for uh, Susie's 
Tumblr. Slash fiction Tumblr, <laughs> yeah, that she is making of us, which I know she's joking. Well, no, I hope she's I joking. I hope she's joking. But it might, it might actually exist. So Archvillain Games is creating detail covers for the fighter, rogue, cleric, and wizard, and each of them holds five character sheets. You can get them painted or unpainted. They spent over $40,000 on design and prototyping, which is, I believe is exactly what Susie spent on her Tumblr. You can, <laughs> through the Kickstarter, you can also add on paint kits available from Army Painter. So you can see the most important details of your sheet with the cover closed. If you open the cover, you can access the full character sheet on the front or turn it over and you can get a complete spell sheet on the back. If you really hate the standard 5e character sheet, that's fine. You can use a blank sheet of paper. And it is designed to lie flat on the table and blend in nicely with your terrain. I hear. There's a sliding tray that holds your sheet and snaps it into place. So head to archvillaingames.com or search for them on Kickstarter to grab your Archvillain Gauntlet today. Make your character sheet look like the actual cover of 3rd edition D&D, which is rad. Which is the best looking edition of D&D. Correct. <laughs> All right, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Eye of Horus. Shane, who's Horus? Horus is a, an Egyptian god of something or other. Yeah, of uh, protection and good health and something. He also betrayed the emperor in the 30th millennia. Uh, well, you know what? He has sullied the good name of the original yeah. Horus. Unthankful son actually Horus. actually probably was also the emperor. Right. Ugh, man. <laughs> yeah, so we know the Eye of Horus is a symbol of protection and not spying. Don't at us. But Just do, but do. So, Shane, what is the build? So the Eye of Horus is Archfey, Pact of the Chain, Warlock 3, Knowledge Cleric, 17. I see where this is going. I don't think we've had this kind of spread before. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we've gone this deep into Knowledge Cleric. Usually it's Knowledge Cleric 1. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so from Warlock, we uh, get access to our special familiar, the Pseudo-Dragon, which is capable of turning itself invisible. Hey, oh, and putting people to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, flying, right? It can fly? Yeah, it can fly. Mm -hmm. And using Voice of the Chainmaster, uh, we are able to speak through it, as well as uh, see through its eyes. Uh, and hear what it sees. Yeah. Anywhere in the same plane. You can hear what it sees. Yes, it is synesthesia. <laughs> truly, it comes with synesthesia. <laughs> truly mind-bending. <laughs> you can taste those numbers. Right. Like they're right in front of you. <laughs> smells like purple. Uh, uh, which allows you to like communicate information outward because you can speak through um, anywhere on the plane. Also, you got a bunch of uh, knowledge abilities and expertises because you're you know a knowledge cleric and you know lots of stuff. Right. Um, remember that Find Familiar lets you also um, cast touch spells through your familiar within 100 feet, which is going to come more into play a little bit with the cleric. Because you get access to a bunch of positive touch spells like Guidance or Resistance or Cure spells. Um, I was playing in a Tomb of Annihilation game. And at the very beginning, there are dinosaur races. And so like two people in the party decided to race dinosaurs. And I did not want to race dinosaurs because I had like a negative three animal handling mm -hmm. or whatever. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also, I don't want to lose money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, I did just have my familiar perch on the shoulder of one of the riders. And then, you know, you just kind of follow the race. As long as you're within 100 feet, I could uh, guidance for a skill check or I could uh, resist, uh, cast resistance for a uh, saving throw. Oh, so you cheated. Yeah, yeah of course. Of you, course I cheated. <laughs> why run a race if you're not going to cheat? You <laughs> look, ain't cheating. You ain't trying. Look, if you're an arcane trickster and you've got an invisible mage hand, you go to the casinos and you roll those dice. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the cleric levels I think are interesting here because typically you think of scrying as a wizard ability. The knowledge cleric actually gets a lot of scry spells mm -hmm. and divination spells as well uh, available to it. Yeah, and you've always got them prepared because most of them are coming from your bonus domain spells. Right. For example, you get non-detection, which I love because it is also scrying protection. It doesn't require concentration, and it lasts eight hours, so you can cast it on yourself. You can also cast it on your pseudo-dragon also. Right. So, like, they're far away from you, but they can't be seen because they're invisible, and they also cannot be scryed upon. You'll also get Arcane Eye and the Scry Spell, which are sort of the baseline for scrying. Yeah, I guess you can't really call yourself a scryer if you cannot scry. Uh, you can also get Locate Object and Locate Creature as well as Gesh and Speak with Dead, which are an interesting little combination here if you're Look. a little more evil aligned. <laughs> Look, or maybe lawful aligned, okay? Like, all right, I can't scry in there because it's warded. Fine, I will Gesh someone to go in there who already has access. They can die inside, and then I will traipse on through and speak with them as a dead body. There we go. And, you know, I'm a cleric. I guess I could probably raise dead, but I don't have to. Right. Um, as a knowledge cleric, you get access to read thoughts, which I love the idea that like scrying is not just I am in my tower in front of a pool or a mirror and looking at things far away. It can also be I go on a tour. I go on a White House tour. They don't let us that close to the president, but sometimes you can see him. And if I can see him, I can read his mind. Yep. And then at very high levels, you get... Uh, object reading and area reading, which are also great in this same context. Like area reading is you just chill out in a place and you can see what has happened there before. Um, okay, most people don't actively protect a room when the important thing has already occurred. Right. Right, like, okay, we sweep for bugs. We have our meeting, we leave. We don't care if there are bugs there now. Like it's just a random hotel room. People move in. It's my hotel room and I just watch what happened two hours ago right object reading is a kind of the same thing you can see um what occurred with previous owners of an object i like the idea of like marking a coin in some way and just like letting it circulate throughout a city right you locate object find that coin get it back and then object read right of course you're doing that level 20 yeah i mean <laughs> you can do anything it's a plot point hey i do these things yep you got a lot of information about the city what do you want to know exactly <laughs> just glad you're not casting wish so in terms of leveling order we'll start with uh, cleric one then take all three levels of warlock and then finish out cleric so shane who is your eye of horus uh, my eye of horus is the named holy protector of a lawful good run city uh, so he works alongside the constables, the head of the army, and the um, you know princess or duchess or duke or whomever it is that runs the city, um, sort of as the spy master, um, but the holy spy master, right? Like um, probably works for a god or you know uh, worships a, a deity who uses knowledge not for like the pursuit of knowledge but knowledge for the betterment of like humanity um and so like his focus is on making sure that malcontents and ne'er-do-wells in the city uh, are unable to hatch schemes that threaten the uh the positive social structure that has been established 
this is perhaps a naive role. <laughs> so your eye of horrors is a snitch. Uh, kind of more like a spy master. I'm right, like a uh, high level snitch. Uh, right. <laughs> Takes all the fun parts of the city and cleans them right up. <laughs> Giuliani. Um, no, but this is actually kind of like, uh, kind of like that scene in The Dark Knight where he hacks all the phones, right? Like that is sort of what this job is: is to basically spy on everybody in the city and make sure that the um, most dangerous people are not able to um, hatch plots. It is a benevolent Big Brother. Exactly until so just big brother until it isn't yeah, yeah exactly I love big brother i love big brother too <laughs> siri if you can hear this <laughs> i love you how about your eye of horus my eye of horus is very lazy and just hates to get into the thick of things finds combat to be unpleasant really prefers everyone else to handle that but you know wants to be a contributing member of society so in downtime or anytime she can get away with it hangs out in her apartment in the city and just sends her pseudo dragon familiar along with the party so she's a gossip uh yeah yeah sure she she can gossip uh talks through her familiar and it's, it's a she's a kibitzer right okay so she's always looking over the party's shoulders literally because her pseudo dragon is perched on somebody's shoulder and saying um, I don't know. Do you really think that's the way you should go? Maybe, uh, maybe you should take a left. Um, hold on, hold on. Let me. I can probably look through a book. Give me, give me a second. You know, she's probably like I, I think ensconced in a in a nice library, and is like looking for the information. Oh, maybe okay. Maybe she's like Oracle from uh, DC Comics, who is like Batgirl post Killing Joke, who basically just like talks to everyone. Um, on the like through the internet sometimes secretively and is just like reading the computers all the time and like is it an amazing information broker okay all right maybe one or the other of these maybe just really lazy and likes to, to stay inside um when she is forced to actually go out with the rest of the party though also is like stays not in the back line but like behind the back line within 100 feet you know you can still cast most of your spells from there and if you do need to help the party out that's what the familiar is there for okay <laughs> I'm going uh, to use the, my familiar uses the help action. I will uh, flame strike. I feel like your character, your eye of horse is just a texting teenager. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Uh, Sarcastra. That's right. what you played, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even there. I'm not even there. And I can tell you're doing it wrong. Right. Okay. <laughs> I hate you and your stupid catch, face. And catch, my pseudo dragon hates you and your stupid face. If I can't Snapchat about this, I'm not interested. <laughs> my pseudo dragon took keen mind and remembers it all. All right. Oh, actually, wait. No. Take keen mind so that anything you scry, you can remember for a Well, month. yes. <laughs> okay. Done. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you do, we will read it on the air, just like this one. This is certainly one of the best tabletop RPG podcasts out there from August Tear. A few months ago, GM burnout hit me hard and I couldn't bring myself to put any effort into or even think about D&D. Listening to Total Party Thrill, however, has jump-started my creativity and I'm realizing more and more how much better of a GM and player I could be. I emailed a question regarding an upcoming campaign I'm starting and the response was well thought upon and inspirational. 
You won't be disappointed with the quality and care these guys put into crafting this podcast. P.S. I agree, Shane. Unless you could appreciate the multitude of amazing Jack faces. <laughs> Jack-centric episodes of Lost were the absolute worst. Uh, Shane, what's a Jack face? Uh, Jack face is the only face that Jack's character makes in all of Lost. Is that an actor thing? Uh, yeah, Matthew Fox, I think is his name. Mm. Yeah, but like... Oh, did, you never watched Lost, right? I watched like two seasons, and I, but I've completely forgotten them. Okay, so so the character Jack was the supposed main character. Right, but the doctor, right? The doctor, okay. but the least interesting character oh, on yeah, Lost. Oh, yeah, super boring. And also, like, he just kept making dumb faces. like, And it was all variations on the same dumb face. And, like, it just became a constant meme on the internet around those times of, like, Jack face response to anything posted on a forum. Uh, variations on a Jack face. You know, I I thought that was a really nice series at the Met. Yeah. (laughs) All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about mind control. And in the character creation forge, what are you making me talk about? (laughs) We're building the lie detector. Well, it failed. All right. That's it for episode 167 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. And here goes the DM's Deep Dive post-roll. With Mike Shea! Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from the website Sly Flourish and author of the books The Lazy Dungeon Master and Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations. I'm going to be hosting a brand new show on the Don't Split the Podcast Network called the DM's Deep Dive. Each month, I'll be talking to a member of the D&D community about a particular topic of the game like encounter design, tools for improvisation, and game pacing. You can subscribe to the show through iTunes, on Twitch, or on YouTube. Join me, and we'll all work together to make our games fantastic.